it would have been a tremendous regret to have never tried. Much worse than trying and failing. Much worse. That's the voice of Lewis Bender, founder and CEO of Intensity Therapeutics. Listen in now to hear my conversation with Lou at the Intensity headquarters in Westport, Connecticut. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. This afternoon, I'm in Westport, Connecticut at the headquarters of Intensity Therapeutics with Lou Bender, founder and CEO of Intensity. Lou, welcome to BioBoss. Oh, good afternoon, John. Thank you for coming today. How did you find yourself at Intensity? Well, I've had a very diverse career over my time since uh, college. I've done a lot of different things and lived in different countries and worked in different industries, not just healthcare. And I learned a lot from each of them and I effectively was able to apply some learnings from all aspects of my life to arrive at what I hope to be a very helpful and effective treatment for patients with cancer. And along those lines, some of the CEOs I've spoken with said, yeah, I kind of knew what I wanted to do from early on. And I'd say more than half of them and more than half the founders have said, no, I couldn't see this coming. Do you fall into either of those categories? Well, I don't think when I started my career, I could see this coming, that I would uh, come up with an innovative idea to treat cancer. Um, but I did see myself as an entrepreneur, and I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. It just took me a long time to finally become an entrepreneur. But I always saw myself in some sort of leadership role in that regard. What was it about being a leader or being an entrepreneur that was attractive? Can you remember from those early stages when you said, yeah, that's what I want to do. Do you remember what it was? Well, again, leadership, you know, you don't think I'm going to be a leader, but you think this is what I want to do and I have a vision. And I think if you are enthusiastic and you have a vision, and you want something to be done, by default, you become a leader. And then how good of a leader you are and how effective you can be and how successful you can be stems from your character and, and, and what you believe in and how you treat people. So you don't go out saying, I'm gonna be a leader today. Uh, you go out saying, this is what I wanna do and let me explain it to people and hope that they come on board with you. How did you decide you wanted to found this particular company rather than, for instance, take your idea and take it someplace else where there might be a structure in place you could grow it within that? Well, look, you know, you can't bring an idea to some big, big company and expect them to take you seriously. You have to come with data and results and patents and, and um, you know, something that's going to convince them there's something valuable here. So it was never a question that once I had the idea... I had to find ways to create the value that would allow it to be um, interesting to people and pharmaceutical companies. It's no uh, way you could just go with this idea without any, you know, proof of concept, let's say, uh, and, and, and be, be at all taken seriously. So you really have to uh, go out and generate the information that's necessary to convince people that you've got something of value. When you first identified that thing that you wanted to take forward and that, that line of thinking and that scientific approach, and you began to talk to people who might be a part of it, let's say early round investors or others, do you remember what it was? Did they say, oh, Lou, that's brilliant, or did they say, what is that? The people that didn't know anything 
who first funded me, who had no bias for or against and just knew who I was and my, my friends and my family, um, when we showed them the first set of data, they looked at the data for what it said. Uh, if you talk to the experts or the people who so, sort of know, they didn't like it at all. They thought it was an old, tired idea that had been tried and failed multiple times and wouldn't take the time really to understand and learn what it was that I had really um, developed that was different than what they thought it was. So uh, the people who really were, who knew me the best were the ones who really invested and believed in it. And the people who knew the industry the best and didn't know me were the ones who were the most skeptical and uh, didn't want to be bothered with something from somebody that wasn't, you know, in the supposedly cancer realm. So uh, it's interesting, actually, when you think about it, that the people who knew me trusted it and the people who didn't know me but knew what they thought they knew didn't. You know there's going to be skepticism. Why is this different than the 15 times where intratumoral delivery has failed before? Um, not seeing the big picture is what humans tend to want to do when it's easiest to, you know, you've got 15, 50 things on your plate and you really want to uh, just get an understanding and move on. So it's not unexpected. That's the way the world works and you just got to deal with it and you can't get upset and you can't, you just got to find ways to work around the problem. There must have been an easier thing to do at that point in your life than to say, I'm going to start a biopharma company. Well, as I said, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I came to the point where I was at the uh, you know, twilight of the opportunities. If I didn't do something when I did it, it would have been very challenging to, to ever do something. And I knew I had an idea that I, I'm a pretty good, pretty good engineer, pretty good chemical engineer. And I knew that the physics was with me on this technology. And... Um, Having that desire and knowing that it was going to be something that's not going to get easily recognized right away, I had no choice because it wouldn't have been easy to do anything other than uh, try it. Because you can't come to the end of your life, as you've heard me say, thinking you might have had a highly effective treatment for cancer that could have helped hundreds of thousands, if not more, people and never did anything about it. It would have been a tremendous regret to have never tried much worse than trying and failing, much worse. So there was really no choice. It was either do it now, something that I've always wanted to do and never did, try and fail or never try. And I, I was frankly terrified of never trying. What's a typical day for you? What I have to do every day is figure out, again, how to raise the capital to get us to the next level, how to continue the programs, how to f look at the data, where should we go, what does this mean, should we change it? Because what we do is not the way drugs are done. It's just not the way drugs are typically dosed. Uh, we have a totally different approach to dosing. We have a totally different approach to treating cancer. We have to train the doctors. We have to train the sites. We have to train the patients even to understand what it is we have. And we have to learn ourselves. So I'm constantly thinking about how I can communicate better to all of my constituencies uh, what we do and what it is we should do differently to make what we do better. Uh, so that's a little different. This is not, you know, give an IV solution. Uh, we don't have that. We don't have a dosing based on your height and weight. We dose based on the tumor and the cancer and the severity of the disease. So it's, it's very different. 
And so we have to do things differently. And I'm fortunately that I have a great board and a great set of investors that I can focus on the aspects of what we, what's unique to us, the, the reality of what I'm facing on a day-to-day -to, -day to do something that no one's ever done before. No one's ever done it well, no one's ever done it successfully, that what we're trying to do. Lou, what's new in Intensity Therapeutics? 2019 was a great year. Without, without doubt, we, we achieved some wonderful things. Uh, we got a fast track designation from FDA for our lead drug for triple negative breast cancer, a highly unmet medical need. We signed a very big collaboration with Merck. We published with the National Cancer Institute a joint peer review publication. Uh, we were selected by the Society of Immunotherapy of Cancer, one of the most important cancer organizations, medical organizations, with her podium presentation. Um, we've started our study with, with Merck. We've dosed uh, the cohort, uh, the safety cohort. Safety looks very good. We're having um, you know, real good discussions with the doctors. The enrollment now is accelerating dramatically. Doctors are seeing results with their patients. Um, really good results. I mean, the cancers are being shut down, shut down in a number of people. Now that we can dose a reasonable dose, we can treat people. We're dosing people with immunotherapies where we know in mice it's synergistic. Um, we've got other pharma companies interested in, in partnering with us. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great time because I talked to some of these patients. I've met some of these patients. And I can see the benefit that what we're doing for these patients on a daily basis. And the more patients um, that we treat, the the more people we help, and then the more that people get help, the more doctors put patients in. So I think it's a very exciting time for us because we're now at the point where you give this drug into tumors and those tumors, we can see a lot of them now are dying. They don't necessarily go away, but they don't look like they grow and a lot of them shrink. So we're seeing a benefit to people uh, and that's very satisfying. And we're moving into now later stage development into phase two studies uh, later this year. Uh, hopefully additional um, cancer types will be uh, being treated. So it's, it's a very exciting time to finally see the culmination of this work starting to really help a lot more uh, patients uh, uh, than it was when we were dosing very low amounts. So it, it's very satisfying and it's very exciting and it's very new. What is it about your approach that distinguishes it from the way other people try to take on cancer? What we do today is you look at cancer as both a regional disease where you can see the tumors and a systemic disease where you can't see the cells or the tumors that are in the body somewhere. So you have this local aspect of it and you have this whole body systemic aspect of it. And I think as an engineer, you have to treat the big that you can see and you have to treat the small. And the big is being treated by, you know, surgery, radiation, ablation, where you melt it away or freeze it away. And the small is being treated by chemotherapy, targeted therapy, or immunotherapy. And they're not synergistic per se. They don't really, really work together. They work on each component. And what we try to do is to make that local approach synergistic with that systemic approach. So we try to t kill the tumor in a way that they can be now recognized by the immune system. We're bringing together the two ways of treating cancer that are discordant. Patients in our study don't have these horrific side, side effects. They go home the same day that they, that they got treated. The tumors stop. 
there's an immune activation going on in many, many cases. And if you can do that effectively and understand it better, I think we're going to have a new era in cancer treatment where it'll be a chronic disease for most people, not a death sentence. And the fear, the fear of the disease being equal to the fear of the treatment will both go away. You can get people to not fear the disease and not fear the treatment. That's the goal. Better results without the fear. That's what we're trying to do. A certain number of people are going to say, oh, I get that, Lou. I'm interested. I would like to talk more with you. And a certain number of people are going to come back and say, oh, I heard you say, and it actually wasn't what you intended to, them to hear. But people filter things in funny ways. When they get it filtered and you have to come back and help them, no, it's actually this. What is that conversation like? Well, look, the biggest perception when we tell them what, what our drug is, is, oh, it's just chemotherapy, old rock gut chemotherapy. And while we're using those agents, this is not chemotherapy as your grandmother knew it. This is an attenuation of a tumor in a way that keeps its three-dimensional conformations. The diffusion that we bring to the chemotherapy throughout the tumor kills it in a way that makes it still look like cancer or is better looking as cancer. And that attenuated tumor converts into a highly recognizable site for the immune system. So I try to explain that when they see the product, they don't think chemotherapy. They see the product, they think tumor attenuation, immune activation. Attenuation and activation, not poisoning throughout the whole body. That's where I'm constantly trying to communicate and to make sure that people understand that what we're doing uses similar elements to what they're familiar with, the agents themselves, but in a completely different way than what's ever been done before. What is it about your approach that allows the immuno response to unmask or to defeat the way that the cancer can evolve or hide itself? Well, if you remember, cancer comes from your own cells. So the immune system is trained not to harm your own tissue most times. So the idea is try to make the cancer more recognizable to the immune system because the body is normally trained not to attack itself. So right now, the immunotherapies work mostly in, in people who have certain markers on their, on their, uh, in, their, in their cancer that are high in these particular markers, whatever they are. Uh, and we're trying to get the cancer to be uh, non-cloaked and recognizable to the immune system as something that's foreign. Because there are enough differences in the cancer uh, in the way it looks, in the way it's shaped, in the way it, it grows, that we can, um, I think, exploit with our technology in order to make it um, uh, train the immune system more effectively. The immune system will go after things in the body, and if we can get it to the point where the immune system now uh, is going after the cancer because it's attenuated and no longer uh, cloaking as well, but still looks enough like cancer that's still living in elsewhere in the body, we can get this immune response in people that will, I think, help a large number of people who no longer, who do not benefit from, from uh, classical immunotherapy, which is now the kind of the, where all the research is going. So the idea, better recognition effectively is what we're trying to achieve to prevent the immune system from being blocked by the cancer. 
I can imagine someone hearing that and saying, that almost sounds too good to be true. How come someone else didn't do that? I'm sure you've been asked that. And how do you answer that? I don't know if it sounds too good to be true. It's like, show me more is the attitude. Uh, but, you know, look, the data speaks for itself. And, and that's what you have to do. You have to generate data to convince not just the FDA, but, you know, physicians that this is going to benefit their patients, that this is going to give them longer life with better uh, quality of life. And, and it's, it's just uh, that's the data we have to generate. It's a show me type of attitude. And that's what we're trying to do. So I think the idea is we're going to generate the data. There's a real good um, mechanistic reason why this works. We've published that and now we're testing it. And the data is it works well, it doesn't work well or something in between. Uh, But in between is good enough to get a product that's going to help people and works really well will be a blockbuster product that will help a lot of people and shift the use away from these methods that are not working that well into methods that work well. That's the nature of our business and that's everything that you do. You generate the data and eventually it comes to the point where the skepticism goes away. It has to go away because if it works and helps people, the people are gonna want it, the doctors are gonna want it and everybody else will have to follow along because people are desperate for better solutions. Uh, The patients I've spoken with whom I've spoken are desperate for help in, and, and their families are desperate and their caregivers are desperate and their doctors are desperate. And a better idea will overcome any skepticism or any doubt, but you gotta generate the data to do it. There's no doubt about that. A scientist was asked about the process of finding the thing that he could take forward. It, he said, it, for me, he said, I think for many scientists, it's not a Eureka thing. I, I suddenly get it. It's more like, that's funny. That's odd. Did you, do you recall any moments like that as you were thinking about this? Where it, huh. I didn't really have that. I thought when these immunotherapies were coming that the problem was they can't recognize the cancer. And I knew from my experience before that I had a way of killing, I believed, killing tumors in situ by using a diffusion technology. So I didn't have this aha uh-huh moment on the invention, but I, we had an aha uh-huh moment when we were looking at the data with the National Cancer Institutes uh, and, and I, and it was like, you know, these tumors continue to go down after three weeks of use where the drug's half-life is like 20 minutes to an hour, and we stopped dosing at three days. Why are they continuing to go down? And the thinking was, and I thought, are we getting an immune response just in with our drug alone? The answer was yes, but that was kind of a, huh, because I didn't really think it would be that potent of stimulating an immune response by not acting on the immune system. It simply gives the immune system a target to go after. That was kind of an aha moment because we, at that point we said, well, maybe we're seeing immune activation without these immune activating agents being necessary. So that was kind of a a big aha moment uh, when we started to see that and we started testing for it and sure enough, we see immune activation without immune activating agents being necessary. And then when you add them, they catalyze the immune activation that we already have generated on our own. And, and, and that 
could be very exciting if it starts to translate now in, in people. Because we are seeing, for our drug alone, in humans, immune activation. In several patients, we see uninjected tumors going away. Um, distal, very far away from where we injected. In many, many cases. Uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, that if we, we had an, an aha moment, it would be that this is stimulating the immune system without acting directly on the immune system. I remember rushing up. My wife was in her uh, sewing room and I said, look at this data. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Go away, get away, why are you bothering me? I said, look, it's a, it was good and now it's bad and that's good and that's bad. So that was pretty exciting. What can you tell me about the pipeline and, and how it helps to differentiate who intensity is? Well, I think the pipeline starts off with most companies with their first product and you start to see applications in more than one cancer type. So this, this drug has worked in many, many different cancer types. So we're working with our drug in combination with uh, Merck's product, Keytruda. We hope to bring on some others and we hope to use it as a monotherapy. In addition, we're understanding uh, a lot more about the mechanism by which our drug works and what we ne might need to do. And so we have research going on to build the next better intensity therapeutics product. We have a series of experiments in process. We've, we've generated some early data already. And we're, we're, we're excited about the fact that we can improve upon our product alone. And that's what we're looking to do. And hopefully we'll have identified a candidate by the end of the year that we could then bring into further clinical trials. So we'd have two very potent agents coming in with new patent life and all this other thing. What kind of partners are a good fit to Intensity? There are partners that help us do research. So we partnered with the National Cancer Institute right away when I started this company um, uh, because I know I didn't have the cancer expertise and they did. It's in their name. So um, National Cancer Institute, you figure they know what they're doing and they do and they did. So they were, they were really uh, spectacular in, in helping uh, basically a guy try to pursue an idea and a dream. Uh, so that's a partner of, of immense value. Um, you know, my staff partnered, uh, Ian, Ian Walters, he, he came on uh, and helped us get into the, into, the, into the hospitals. The hospitals then partnered with us to test uh, an idea. Uh, an intratumoral idea. So they, they were our partners. The, um, the first hospital to dose a patient was Princess Margaret. Uh, we partnered with USC. We've partnered with Johns Hopkins. We've partnered with Columbia. We've partnered with UMass. We partnered with the Fox Chase Cancer Center who allowed us to talk to some of their patients. So all these are partners. And we've partnered with um, uh, Merck now. We have discussions with other big companies. Uh, Merck has the leading drug in cancer right now, Keytruda. Uh, it, tremendous product. Uh, we're grateful that they uh, uh, have uh, decided to help us uh, help patients by combining their, their expertise with ours. Um, so, you know, partnering is um, uh, a continuum uh, as you advance what you're doing. And so, you know, I partnered with the NCI on the research, with Ian, with Merck, with the hospitals, with the doctors. <clears throat> and hopefully with more companies, with investors, uh, all, all of whom I consider my partners, my board. So it's all, they're all partners. And we're all trying to do, this, to do the same thing, which is to help patients and doctors um, treat patients and their families in a, in a more humane and more effective way. 
with all the time that's going into understanding the data and and working with your academic and and hospital partners and pharma partners with all the time that goes into the thinking about your approach do you allow yourself do you still have time at this point rather than whenever months years from now to think i think i can do some good i think i can really change one life and maybe many lives for the better do you have that opportunity or are you so focused on just oh no no i'm blessed to have been able to meet some of the people we've helped and spoken to them we had a patient who uh, was about to have his arm and shoulder amputated over two and almost two and a quarter years ago still has his arm and shoulder i think it's uh it's 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 already something that is beyond my wildest dreams of where i ever thought this would go and do you think that in your hopes, it will be a few people whose lives have been changed beyond belief, or do you think it'll be potentially more than a few? Where medicine is going and where we're hoping to lead it to, it will, it will get to a point where cancer is a chronic disease. The average age will move up from 72 at age of death now, as I believe, to way beyond that. And younger people will not die. People can go to weddings for their kids. They can see their kids grow up. Men, women, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. Uh, that the uh, age of, of a cancer death will be remote and, and old if it happens. Uh, that's my dream and that's what we're going to work towards and I believe that will happen. I do believe it. Founders and CEOs have been on BioBoss have been some work here in Connecticut, some in you know, uh, Boston, some Cambridge, some in Europe. Uh, it's somewhat unusual to be able to build something like this right here in Westport. And I'm sure you had felt at some point so you, maybe you would go someplace else with it, but you succeeded in building what you built, built right here. Do you find satisfaction in creating something not only potentially profound, but something that's right here in this community? I've lived in Connecticut almost 25 years. I, my mother's from New Haven. Uh, my parents' graves are here in Connecticut. Um, I had a job in, in Massachusetts and I commuted uh, for five years and didn't want to really move because I like my community. It's a nice place to live. So, you know, I like Connecticut. I love Connecticut. I like living in Connecticut. But I, my, as, a, as the CEO of Intensity Therapeutics, my objective is to get patients the care and the drug that they need to lead better lives. And if that happens in some other state, then that's where I'll go to. It can be where the best chances are for success are going to be. Thanks for speaking with me today, Lou. Well, John, I uh, really enjoy every interaction you and I have. I find it uh, to be very thought-provoking and, and enjoyable. Lou Bender told me it would have been a tremendous regret to have never tried, much worse than trying and failing. Lou's give-it-a-shot approach has two drivers. One is, how could you let people down who suffer from cancer? The other is his passion for leadership. As Lou says, you don't think, I'm going to be a leader, but you think, this is what I want to do. And I have a vision. A vision for a future where people with cancer will have less fear of their disease and less fear of the treatment. A vision for cancer to become a chronic disease where younger people will not die from cancer, where they can see their kids grow up and someday go to those kids' weddings. As Lou says, that's my dream, and that's what we're going to work towards, and I believe that will happen. I do believe it. 
And I believe that Lou believes. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss.